Hey everybody, Raul here for Bass Musician Magazine, and today we have the great honor and pleasure of chatting with none other than Dink Cook. Yay! Hey. So many of you have probably seen Dink if you've been watching Toby Keith over the last decade or so. He's been playing with Toby Keith, but he's been playing with countless other acts for the last like 30 years or so. So lots of great country music under his belt. I always like to go to the past, Dink. How did you get started in music and particularly on bass? Well, I started playing piano when I was six. By ear, I play everything by ear. Started playing guitar. My dad never really played guitar, but he went and bought me an old early 60s acoustic silver tone, <laughs> which I sliced my fingers on and bled about bled to death. Oh. <laughs> guitar. Then he bought me a, he found a electric silver tone. It was like a 1958 that I've still got. I've still got both of those guitars, and I've got them hanging on my wall. I had one of them refinished to a seafoam green, and but they're both hanging on my wall in, in the living room. And then, you know, I started playing drums through junior high school, played drums at church in youth choirs, some, but I never had picked up a bass. All through high school, I played played some sports, played tennis through high school, was in the choral department, did some drama stuff, and all the way till I graduated and had never even considered playing bass. And my sister sang at Opryland for a few years and wound up getting on the Grand Ole Opry when she was like 16 and got to know a bunch of people. And so... She had met people backstage of, of the Grand Ole Opry and made friends, and I get this call one day from somebody I didn't know. I was two weeks out of high school, and I get a call from this from this guy. He said, hey, man, uh, I met your sister backstage at the Grand Ole Opry, and she told me that you played bass, and I need a bass player to go on the road. And I kind of looked around at myself, and I went, yeah, man, I play bass. Yeah. <laughs> I play bass. Never, never even picked one up in my life. Oh, wow. So the big next big question was, hey, can you have your rig down here in three days and do like a few days rehearsal and before the first gig? And I'm like, yeah, I didn't have a car or anything. So I called my dad at work and talked him into co-signing on a loan with me to buy. We went down to Nazi Music in Birmingham, and I bought a like a '73 '74 Precision. Fender Precision, which if I knew then what I know now, I'd still have it. Mm-hmm. And uh, an old Fender amp, and went off to Nashville to be a bass player. And let's just say the first gig was not real pretty. We wound up having to back up some Grand Ole Opry stars that I had no idea who they were or what they sang. So if that was the first gig. Was the only gig I've ever been fired off of after the first day. (laughs) So they fired me, said, we're going to take you back to Birmingham. They went halfway to Montgomery, dropped me off on the corner (laughs) at a gas station, unloaded all my stuff and put it in grass and said, we ain't got time to take you all the way back. You'll have to find your own way back to Birmingham. Oh, wow. So I had had relatives in Montgomery that took me back to Birmingham and I, you know, I unloaded it down in the basement and I sat there and looked at it I was you know 19 20 years old and I went 
I'm going to learn how to play this thing. And one of these days, I'm going to run across those guys and show them that I learned how to play it. Mm -hmm. So uh, for the next eight years, for the next eight years, I played in Birmingham. I, I never spent time out of work. I always worked. I always played. I always learned. And in 1989, I went to work with, I don't know if you've heard of Tom Wopat. Tom Wopat was the original Luke Duke on the Dukes of Hazard. Okay. So I went out on tour with him for a couple of years and did my first overseas to Frankfurt, Germany, and England. And then I left that and started doing, continued playing clubs. I worked with a couple of bands that tried to get, tried to get record deals. And did the old beat down the street trying to get a record deal and doing showcases and all that stuff. And anyway, just kept doing that until 1998. 1998, I went to work with Mark Wills, who was kind of in his heyday. He, uh, I was with him for 11 years. And then I left him, went with Daryl Worley. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I spent a lot of time with both of these guys going overseas, playing for troops. They both had have great careers and played with Daryl for a couple of years. And then I started with Toby in 2012. And I'm still here. They can't get rid of me. There you <laughs> go. There you go. But that kind of that kind of sums up the uh, short, short, uh, short way to tell it. There you go. Well, and it sounds, again, you're self-taught, but it was also learning yes. as you were going because yes. you had to adapt to a whole bunch of different situations. Absolutely, absolutely. I had to, you know, when I first started playing to be able to work, I didn't have really any bass influences like I've been asked before because I didn't have time for that. Mm. I had to do nothing but learn songs and learn bass parts. It didn't matter who was playing on it. And I didn't have time to to go do the research, and you know, at that time, at that time in the early '80s, we didn't really have the kind of resources that we have now to go and Google who played bass on, you know, this or that, or you know, and it was all it wasn't all one genre. It was, it was, you know, when you played clubs growing up in the '80s, you had to play everything. You had to, you had to play. Willie Nelson and go from Willie Nelson and the next song is Rosanna by Toto and the yeah. next song you know from that is a late 70s rock song so it was it was rock country R&B a little bit of everything on every gig that you played and those mm-hmm. gigs your house it was you were in a house band all the gigs in Birmingham were house band gigs and you would play you know you would play five sometimes six days a week and the only free time you had was having to learn songs. So there weren't guys that I really listened to, you know, mm-hmm. back, in, back in the day. So that's where I was. <laughs> nice, nice. And how did the Toby Keith gig come up? Unfortunate incidents. I, you know, I, I knew all the guys that played with Toby. I played with, done sessions with those guys. And I moved to Nashville in 98 when I started with Mark Wills. So I started doing a house gig in a place called Printer's Alley in Nashville at a club called the Fiddle and Steel Guitar Bar. And the band there was all guys that played with artists. And I wound up getting that gig. And every Tuesday, 
all the guys that played on the road and played with different artists, that's where they would come and hang out on Tuesday nights. It was, we were the house band. We would play the first hour and a half, and then for the next four hours, it was nothing but a jam. Hmm. With all those guys, you know, that was their stress relief after being out on the road all weekend. They could come out and play stuff that they don't get to play all the time. So, you know, I did that until the fiddle still closed. I want to say that was from 98 till like 2015. Just meeting all those guys, the drummer in that band in 98 was the drummer that I play with now, okay. with Toby. And he was playing with a different artist at the time. And uh, while we were playing together, he wound up getting the Toby gig. And he, he's been there 20, 20 plus years now. So the bass player that was there was, I want to say, it was Toby's best friend. And unfortunately, he passed away in a car accident. Mm. I was with Daryl Worley at the time. And after he passed away, they, had, they offered me the job. I was very honored to be asked to do that job because it was such a high, such a high profile gig, you know, in country music. When you get to play with an artist like that, that's had 21, 22 number one records, that's not counting top fives and top tens. Mm-hmm. Toby just got the BMI award for the the Icon Award, is what they call it, is the Icon Award for BMI writers and uh and he's man he's gotten he's gotten so many so many awards over the years but to be asked to do something like that you know is such a great honor absolutely well you, you just have to do it and another aspect even with playing with toby you've also played with you know the bellamy brothers and oak ridge boys and a lot of other acts so yeah. you are in the middle of the nashville hustle if you will <laughs> But, yeah, you can call it that. Yeah, I've, I've been blessed to go out and sub with a lot of people. Did 2017 South Africa Sri Lanka tour with Bellamy Brothers. Just actually got to play with them last week. This mm-hmm. past weekend, their bass player had to have some surgery, so he's kind of out of commission. And same thing with the, the Oak Ridge Boys. I, I got to go out and sub with those guys for a couple of shows. And yeah, it's it's I'm, again, I'm very blessed. You you are a go-to guy, and in addition to that, I understand that as if you had a lot of spare time, you also are an educator. You do classes both in person in Nashville, but virtually as well. Yeah, just I, I still teach every now and then here and there. Okay. Not a lot, but but enough to where I I still keep a student or two, you know, a month nice. uh, when I have the time to do it. You know, when, during during busy season, there's there's no time between doing those dates and but the Toby stuff and mm-hmm. still going out and doing other stuff. You know. So I try to a little bit, you know. I hear you. Now, and you, even though you mentioned that you didn't really have time for influences, I know that you're good friends with Bobby Vega, uh, Chuck well, Rainey. friend. Some of these guys. Yes. Yeah, I talk, I talk to Bobby almost once a week. I met Bobby through, uh, I was with Dean Guitars. I endorsed Dean Guitars for about 16 years. And the guys that used to build my guitars in the late 90s and early 2000s introduced me to Bobby later after uh, they had left Dean Guitars. They started, uh, they went and bought all the, if you remember, Electra. Mm-hmm. They bought all the rights to Electra. And when I started with Toby in 2012, they brought, they went and bought Electra. And brought Electra back. So the first two guitars that they built 
for two custom bases under the Electra name for me. Nice. And around that time, I was doing stuff like NAM with those guys, and they also have built bases for Bobby over the years. So they kind of put us together, and it got to where when Bobby would come to Nashville, he would stay with me, and we would spend, you know, go go eat Cracker Barrel during the day and come <laughs> back and sit in the house and me sit there and Google at him what what we consider the pick master. There you go. <laughs> he, he would sit up and try to show me stuff with a pick, and I'd just look at him, shake my head, and I'd just stand up, put my base on the stand, and walk out. <laughs> he's so ridiculous, but he's... He and I have developed a really wonderful relationship, and we, when we talk, it's gotten to where now it's not about music all the time. It's oh, about sure. my family, his family, what we're doing. We've talked about even going and possibly doing a couple of things together. We talked about recording together, mm -hmm. actually, nice. um, which would be a dream. You know, he has been a recent influence of mine, not just musically, but but personally. You sure. know. We just, he's hes like, you know, they were saying the, the brother you never had. Mm -hmm. He is that guy for me. So. Well, and especially in the music world, I think the bass community as a whole, I've, I have very rarely run into anybody that I'll say right offhand we didn't like. You know, they're, they're a bunch of really chill individuals. Sure. They're, they're really nice. And granted, sometimes you'll catch somebody on an off day or something because usually there's something else. Under yeah. underlying going on, but for for most part, they all you know, you guys are living parallel lives. He's doing his thing, you're doing the same right. thing, but in sure. a different right. setting. And so there's a, a very good intrinsic understanding of yeah. what each of you are kind of dealing with and all that. So yeah. that that is, that's very cool. We should seeing that up to now, I've neglected to mention your T-shirt. Let's talk about gear. How are you getting your sound? I just recently started playing the Lakeland stuff. Mm -hmm. I really like it. I've actually had different basses that I've really enjoyed playing over the last 10 years. You know, a little bit of everything, really. One of my favorite companies here is low-end mm -hmm. basses. Brian, a guy named Brian Barrett owns that, and, man, everybody loves those basses around here. Play that. I've got a Roscoe I love. I've got... Uh, for a couple of years, I actually was playing the, the Fender Jazz Elites with Toby, mm -hmm. and loved loved those. I like playing different things. People always, uh, I've had friends go. It doesn't matter what bass you're picking up, you're getting the same sound out of every bass. And for me, you know, Bobby and I've had this this conversation about how you know how. Players' tones, in our opinion, are mostly in your in your hands, in your fingers. Absolutely. According to Bobby, I get this certain low mid tone growl out of every bass I play. I, I, I'm I've never been a front pickup guy. I use you know, like the custom bases I've had built have usually in the past have had nothing but a rear pickup, on, not even a front pickup. Mm -hmm. And the ones that I'm playing now, even the Lakelands, I, I actually pulled the, the passive pickups out of those and I put active EMGs in it. I've been using EMGs for years. I've been with those guys for, for a while. And uh, so they sent me two sets of the active pickups and nice. I just 
I, I didn't have to write out anything. I was able to just drop them in, follow the directions, plug mm. it in. No soldering. They make it so easy, and I am I'm really digging those EMGs in in these like on DJ's bases. Yeah, so nice. And do you have a choice in strings, a preference? I, I've always loved nickel myself. Okay. Uh, I usually use 45 through 130s. I'm, I'm a big. I've never been a big fan of the 125s on for the low B. I, I just for my preference, I love a 130. You know, gotcha. so I've always used 45 through 130s. I've used several different different companies from Diodario to Cleartone. I was with Cleartone strings for a long time. I like trying different things out sometimes because usually I, I have to say I still get the same tone out of them. There you go. There you go. I love UK amps. Uh, I've been with those guys for well over 10, 12 years. Actually, longer than that. And um, so that's the amps I use. Mm-hmm. Love, love everything about them. Gotcha. So you're still using an amp on stage when you're touring? Well, with Toby, yes, we do. I use a uh, Ford. 412. I've gone to 12s. I'm a big believer in 12s. I've, I've got away from the 10s myself. Mm-hmm. I use a 412 cab with one of the MB800 Fusion heads. And I also use uh, Adelon U5s. I've got like three of the U5s. I keep one here for studio and I keep two of the U5s on the road. That's what I use most of the time for everything. Anytime I go to a session, I'm still. You know the old saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So mm-hmm. I still use the Avalon U5s. Well, and coming back to the way you say that you get everything to sound kind of the same, because you are kind of lined in a particular genre of music, right? you, you don't need a whole wide, you, you don't need a lot of distortion, or you're not going to throw no. a, a chorus no. in, or any of this stuff. You want the right. sound that the instrument is giving yes. you. And what I find a lot of times is that I could have a, a active pickups, I can have EQ, I'll find a sweet spot, and then I just want to leave it there. I don't like Absolutely. to change it around. I like to get where I wanted to hear it and then just call it good, you know? Yep, yep, yep. If I've got, a, let's say, some of my basses do have a mid-boost on them, mm-hmm. or the knobs will be notched, usually with, with like bass and treble both, I'll get to the notch and I'll reel them just past that <laughs> notch. And usually the same thing with the mids as well. I can get what I'm looking for, you know, usually with that. Nice. Myself. Yeah. Nice. Well, and as we look ahead, I know that as we've been coming out of the pandemic, a lot of groups haven't been able to make any concrete plans. But what things do you see maybe coming in the future? With me, man, I just enjoy the moment. With Toby, some people might not know, but he was diagnosed with stomach cancer October, I believe it was mm. October ago. And so he's he's been trying to re- recover from that. We've taken the whole year off this year with him to let him heal up and get his feet back under him and build his stamina back up. As it seems right now, I think what I've heard is that we're going to go back out by the middle of next year okay. and maybe not do a full schedule, but do some maybe some private shows even and uh, let him build the stamina back up on stage vocally you know strength wise as far as that goes with him that's that's what the outlook is Good. myself I've been working on actually a smooth jazz project oh, nice. one. 
and I've got three or four of the tracks already cut, still working on it, been working on it for a while. That's one of the things Bobby and I are talking about, maybe collaborating on and doing a tune or two on this project if we can get it finished. But nice. Other than that, man, just playing as much as I can while I'm here, playing with different people makes me really happy being able to go out and sub with other artists and just just meeting other players. I love I love meeting meeting other players. You know, I don't try to look too far ahead. Other than what I've got right in front of me, sure. Uh, if I do, then some sometimes if you do that, you lose sight of what you're doing now. So the the old missing the forest for looking at a particular tree kind of thing, right? See? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, yeah. there you I go. Don't, I don't want to miss anything along the way or miss any time. <laughs> well, and if people want to know what you're up to, they want to check in. I know they can go to dinkcook.com. Yep. Yeah. And you've got a merch line there with Dink Cook Music. Yeah, well, that's actually, I've, I've got a studio here at the house. So it's, we've put it under Dink Cook Music, that, and we call it DCM Studio. Yeah, we just do some t-shirts, hoodies, hats, <laughs> coffee cups with DCM Studio. Mm-hmm, nice. Uh, yeah, it's, they're, they're pretty cool. In addition to that, on social media, at Dink Cook, both Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff, yeah. so... Yeah, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. I've got a Facebook music page, which is under DCM Music, I believe it is. Other than that, that's about all the social media I've got out there right now. Well, it's a love-or-hate kind of thing. I mean, it's a, it, it could it be is, a full-time man. job. It is. <laughs> it is, absolutely, absolutely. Well, oh, Dink, yeah. we appreciate you taking time from your schedule to oh, sit down and time. talk with us and share yeah, your journey and all of this information. Folks, You've seen him here on Bass Musician Magazine, Dink Cook. Thank you. Thank you, Ryle.